hills in front of you. So you're trying to find out what are they, what are they really saying here. And, and so you, you go up to someone and you politely uh, get their attention and you ask them the all-important question. Do you speak English? And of course, the hope on your face is that the other person says, yes, I do, instead of some gibberish that you don't know what they're saying. Because the whole purpose is you're trying to communicate, you're trying to understand. And being in the dark linguistically, that's a bad place to be. It's no fun at all. And it's so nice when someone speaks your language because now you can communicate. Now you can uh, interact and understand. You know, when Lisa and I first came to Sebastopol in the fall... Uh, we stayed at the Sebastopol Inn down on Sebastopol Road. I'm sure you guys are familiar with it and nice place to stay. And one of the magazines that was in there when we stayed there was this magazine and it says, Do You Speak Sonoma? Who knew? Who knew that Sonoma might have a language all its own? For example, I'm reading through the magazine, and I was like, well, we're from Southern California. What does this mean? Do we speak Sonoma? Well, there's, there's, a, uh, there's some terms that are supposedly only known up here in this area. One of them is called spa-leluia. Spa-leluia. What does that mean? That's the exuberant expression when you're enjoying a local spa and you're relaxing. You say spa-leluia. How about another one? Sonoma. Sonoma. And that's... That's when a couple discovers a beautiful romantic vista somewhere in Sonoma County. Sonoma. Okay. And then how about the, th- the third one? The third one is maybe you are a Sonomad. Maybe you're a Sonomad. Maybe you are a person who embraces the wanderlust of Sonoma County. So they're, you know, learning what it means to live up here in Sonoma County. Do you speak Sonoma? Well, Last week, we started a brand new series, and the series is called On Fire, and we wanted to learn about the early followers of Jesus in the book of Acts. Of course, the book of Acts is is the fifth book into the New Testament in the Bible, and we have the four Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John that talk about the life and ministry of Jesus, and then we have this book of Acts, and the book of Acts chronicles the early history of the church all the way when it began from the time Jesus ascended into heaven in Acts chapter 1, which we saw last week, until the birth of the church, all the way to where the church extends, beginning in Jerusalem, all the way westward to the capital of the Roman Empire, the city of Rome itself. And it's exciting to see the early followers of Jesus, their excitement, their passion for the Lord, their willingness to endure persecution and to extend the kingdom of God and to grow the church. And some, one, the main question is, what can we learn from these early Christ followers? What can we emulate? Because it does say in Hebrews, it says, remember your leaders and imi- consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. So what can we learn about these early Christ followers? Well, what we saw last week in Acts chapter 1 was Jesus was just getting ready to leave this earth. He was going to ascend into heaven, and we we finally answered the Bible trivia question, if you remember from last week, which was, what was the last words, what were the last words that Jesus said when he was on this earth before he sent it into heaven? And it just happens to be Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, which happens to be the key verse for understanding the entire book of Acts. So you see that up on your screen, Jesus' words. He says, but you will receive power 
when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so we see that the focus that Jesus is trying to get his people to do is to say, look, you need to go back into Jerusalem after the Lord ascended into heaven. Go back into Jerusalem and meet together and pray and wait for the coming of the Holy Spirit. Because when the Holy Spirit comes, everything is going to change. It's going to be completely different. And you're going to be amazed at what God is going to do. And so that is what God's people did. They, they began to focus their life on life on mission with Jesus. They joined together with God's people in prayer. They met constantly together in the upper room and in the temple courts. And they were in unity. They were praying. They were expecting Christ to send his Holy Spirit. They were ready to share the good news about Christ, that he is the, the promised Messiah, that he's the Savior. And as Jesus told them to go back to Jerusalem, the idea was they were to start right where they were. Right there, might not have, Jerusalem might not have been their own hometown, but that is where they were at that moment, and that is where the Lord was going to begin to launch His church. And so we are ready to follow their faith and to imitate their example by starting right where we are, right here in Sebastopol and in Sonoma County. But first, remember, they needed to go back to Jerusalem. They needed to go back in the upper room, and they needed to be united together in prayer. And so they're gathering daily, they're in the temple courts, they're in the upper room, they were united, their hearts were being prepared. And on a human level, I've got to think, you know, if, if it wasn't doubting Thomas, maybe he overcame his doubt when he saw the Lord himself, and he said, my Lord and my God. But maybe there were a couple other doubting Thomases in the group, and maybe on a human level, as they're meeting together and praying and waiting, and maybe it's day seven and now day eight, and now day nine after the Lord ascended into heaven. And it's not yet the day of Pentecost. Maybe on a human level, somebody, somebody was wondering or thinking, can we really do this? Could they really be Jesus' witnesses? I mean, it wasn't that long ago that when the Lord was arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane, it says in Matthew's gospel that all his disciples deserted him and fled. In other words, they were not standing with the Lord. They weren't being very brave at all. They were acting rather cowardly. And that's the same night that Jesus, of course, denied that he even knew Jesus because of fear. And so how were they going to overcome that fear of the authorities, the Jewish authorities and the Roman authorities? How were they going to be empowered to be bold in their witness no matter what the consequences were? Could they really be Jesus' witnesses? If we step out in faith and we really do this, what is going to happen? What, is, what are going to be the consequences? And what is God trying to do in us? And then what is God trying to do through us? So first, they needed, to, they needed to, to continue to meet together. They needed to unite together. They needed to pray. And they needed to say, you know what? Because when we start to pray and we get God's presence in our lives and we put him first and we start seeking first his kingdom, it's going to be that, like that one phrase that says, when somebody fears God, they have nothing else to fear. And that's, where, that's the place at which I think this early church people, these 120 Christ followers, they had reached a place like that in their prayer life. Now that we completely fear God, we have nothing else to fear. And so now we reach chapter 2 in the book of Acts. If you have your Bible, you can follow along, whether in a, in a book form or tablet or on your phone. 
uh, we have some verses that will be up on the screen. So now it's Sunday morning, and it's during the time of a late spring Jewish festival that they called Pentecost. Jesus knew that the time was ready, the time was ripe now, and he was going to keep his promise to them when he said he would send them the Holy Spirit. Jesus had waited a long time for this moment. Jesus waited, you you recall 30-some years ago, Jesus waited to be born of the Virgin Mary. Jesus waited 30 years as a human on this earth before he dropped his carpenter tools and he walked over to the Jordan River to be baptized by John to begin his ministry publicly. Jesus waited a long time for that. And now Jesus is waiting to finally send his Holy Spirit from heaven. I, I have to believe that Jesus was excited for this moment. Jesus had timed it perfectly. It was an ultimate divine setup for what was going to be happening. And let me explain why. Because on the day of Pentecost, this was a special day in the Jewish life and in their calendar. Pentecost means 50 or 50th. It was 50 days after the Passover Sabbath. Now, the Pentecost was one of the three annual festivals that the Jews celebrated each year. The first annual festival was Passover. That's the time at which Jesus was crucified and buried, and he rose again. And now it's 50 days later, and it's the second Jewish harvest. It's in late spring, and it's called Pentecost. And it says this in verse 5. It says, Now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. And many people, many of these people heard the sound of a violent wind. They heard these people speaking excitedly in all kinds of foreign languages, and it really got their attention. So there's this miracle that's, that's going to be happening, but I just wanted you to know that at this time of Pentecost, because it was the middle of the year, it was late spring, this time of year was a safer time. If you're a Jew and you're spread out all over the Roman Empire and your normal way of travel to get back to Israel and Jerusalem for one of these festivals was by sea, the safest time to travel for any one of the three festivals was Pentecost. And that's why there were more Jews gathered in Jerusalem at this time. And so it says in, in, in verse 1 in chapter 2, when the day of Pentecost came... They, meaning the 120, these followers, the apostles and the women and the family of Jesus, Mary was there, of course. It says, they were all together in one place. And suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. And they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit And they began to speak in other tongues and languages as the Spirit enabled them. So we see in these verses there were three aspects of this miracle, this coming of the Holy Spirit. The first one was there was the sound of a violent rushing wind. It doesn't say there was a rushing wind. It just says there was a sound of a mighty violent rushing wind. And of course, that sound, that sound is going to get people's attention. And it gathered people's attention. So audibly, there's this sound of a miracle. Visibly, they see that says that the Holy Spirit came as tongues of fire that, that separated. And individually, there's this tongue of fire over each, somehow, over each one of these uh, believers of the 120 of them. So there's the second aspect of the miracle. But the third aspect of the miracle, I think, was was the main thrust of what Jesus was trying to do there. Because it says 
that all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and they began to speak in other tongues or in other languages as the Spirit enabled them. Now, I want you to see, you see up on the screen here, there's a map. It's uh, countries of people that are mentioned at Pentecost. It says in Acts chapter 2, there were 15 distinct nations represented where Jews lived all throughout the Roman Empire in all of these different regions. And they were all gathered in Jerusalem at that time, which is why I think it was Jesus' divine setup, at the day of Pentecost for this festival. And they were from all over the Roman Empire. They spoke all kinds of languages. They probably spoke a common language, Aramaic, and maybe they spoke Greek, and maybe there was even a little Latin if you were from the, the western part of the Roman Empire. But for the most part, the native language of each one of these regions was different. If it was Egypt, it would be Egyptian. It could be Parthian if it was back from Parthia or Median if you were from Mede. Or if you were from some of these other parts of the Roman Empire, they all had their own distinct native language. And so the miracle, it says in verse 7, what was the miracle? It says, utterly amazed, now these, this large crowd of people is hearing them, these 120 believers, followers of Jesus, they're hearing these guys speak, but the language that they're hearing is different from what they expected. It said, utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our own native tongue? It was like there was a reversal of the Tower of Babel going on here. If you remember in Genesis 11, the first book of the Bible, in that story, there was a tower that had been built by humanity, and they had this unity together because all humanity spoke one and the same language at that time, early in human history. And yet they were rising up against God. They were rebelling against God's authority. And so in judgment, God decided to confuse them, which is what Babel means. And at the Tower of Babel or confusion, God made it so that uh, all the people started speaking different languages. And they, these languages, they could not understand each other. And so they were separated across the earth that way. And there's the division of the nations. Well, now all the nations in the Roman Empire are gathering back together, many of whom speak all these different languages. And the, the miracle of the Holy Spirit was each person could hear these Jewish believers, these Galileans, speaking the praises of God in their own language. They were declaring the wonders of God. This was amazing. I imagine they heard something like this. Phrases that were being shouted, such as, God is so awesome and mighty. God, you are worthy of our praise. God, thank you for sending your spirit among us. Lord Jesus, glorify your name. God is moving in our world today. Jesus, you are victorious over sin and death. And you are now reigning in heaven with great power and glory. All majesty go to you, Lord Jesus. And they were hearing this. Now, you all understand me if you speak English. But these people were hearing these words perfectly understandable, but not in Aramaic, not in Greek or Hebrew or Latin. They were hearing it in their own native language, and that was the miracle. Every declaration is in the native language of all the Jews that were gathered there. They were hearing this supernatural, amazing communication, and they wanted to know because it... it obviously gathered their attention. They were in wonder and awe and amazement. 
but they wondered what the meaning was. What is, what is God doing? What is going on here? What does this mean? They said in verse 12. So Jesus' followers, this is the other miracle too, because if you notice this, they are now, they have gone from being shy and timid and perhaps fearful of what the consequences would be, and now they have broken out and publicly they're declaring their faith in Jesus in all these different languages, and Jesus' followers had become bold and they had become public in their faith, and it's an awesome thing to behold, and so now The people wonder what's going on, what does this mean, and God directs Peter, who's the natural leader of Jesus' followers. Peter stands up among this crowd, and he begins to explain to them what God is trying to say. And so for the bulk of the rest of chapter 2, we have this message, this very first sermon, if you will, this message where Peter is going to explain what God is up to and what God is saying to them and what God wants them to do in response to this message. So what was Peter's overall message? First of all, Peter's saying, this miraculous communication that you guys are all hearing in other languages, this points to God authenticating Jesus as Messiah, the Son of God. God raised Jesus from the the grave. The apostles are eyewitnesses of this, and everyone needs to hear this message. And because everyone needs to hear this message, God says, I'm not going to let language be a barrier anymore. I'm going to build a bridge to all of these people, no matter what language they speak, because this good news is for everyone. Jesus is for everyone. And we're going to build bridges rather than have barriers anymore in order to reach them. So let's unpack Peter's message in a little greater detail. I can see four points at least four points to to Peter's message as he's speaking to this large Jewish audience. Perhaps they're now in the area of the temple courts. And Peter is standing up, and the other apostles are standing up as well. But Peter is the principal spokesman, and he is now unlocking, if you will, the keys to the kingdom of heaven, like Jesus told him he would. He said, I says, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. And what doors you open will be open. And so Peter has the privilege of unlocking the doors to the kingdom of God to the people, to this God-fearing Jewish audience gathered in Jerusalem. And what does Peter say to them? The first point that Peter makes is the time of fulfillment has come. The time of many Old Testament, many Hebrew prophecies has come to fulfillment. This day. So he quotes from the prophet Joel. Joel who wrote to the Jewish people 800 years before Christ. And Joel looking far into the future writes about the last days. And now Peter is saying those last days that Joel wrote about. They've come. They are now here. God said through his prophet Joel that in the last days. God will pour out his spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy, your young men will see visions, your old men will dream dreams. In those days I will pour out my spirit on all my servants, men and women alike, old and young, and they will prophesy. So the Holy Spirit of God was released and now he is working through all his servants, not just a chosen few, young and old, men and women. And check out this amazing promise. When you get to the end of Joel's prophecy here that Peter quotes, he says, 
he says this, and this is sort of a foreshadowing of what's going to happen at the end of this chapter. Joel says this at the end of his uh, at the end of this phrase. It says, "And anyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved." This gift of God was for everyone. Anyone who responds to it and calls on the name of the Lord in faith, that person will be saved. So this was a fulfillment. This miracle you see, this is a fulfillment of a pro- of prophecy from the Old Testament. Number two, the second point Peter's making is that Jesus. Jesus had a very public ministry, a well-known ministry. And this ministry was filled not only with wise words like the Sermon on the Mount. This ministry of Jesus was filled with wonders and signs and miracles that authenticated and proved that Jesus really is Messiah. But instead of accepting Jesus as Messiah, instead of believing the signs that God was sending to them, the Jewish leaders did the opposite. They rejected Jesus as the Son of God. They rejected Him as Messiah. And, it's, and Peter's telling them, and he's saying, you, like you collectively, like you Jews who happen to be living here in Jerusalem, when you had the chance to either accept or deny Jesus as your Messiah, you denied Him. Do you remember what happened back in the day, not that long ago, maybe seven weeks ago, when Pontius Pilate brought Jesus before the Jewish crowd, and he said, you know, this is the time of Passover, and it's a time of mercy, and according to the custom, I'm going to release one prisoner to you as a gesture of goodwill on Passover. So I have these two people that are accused of these crimes. I have Jesus of Nazareth over here, and I have this criminal, this insurrectionist, this murderer. His name is Barabbas. Pilate thought he, was, he knew what the outcome was going to be ahead of time. So Pilate says to the people, which one of these two do you want me to release to you? Jesus, right? Or Barabbas, you know? Jesus or Barabbas? And the crowd surprises him completely, and they say, we don't want Jesus. We want Barabbas to be released. Barabbas, are you kidding me? This guy's a crowd. Well, what, what do you want me to do with Jesus then? And he said, and the Jewish people said, crucify him, nail him to a cross, put him to death. We reject him. We don't want him to live anymore. And Pontius Pilate can hardly believe what he's hearing. But finally, he gave in to their demands. He washed his hands out of kind of a sarcastic gesture. And he says, my hands are clean of this. Even though they really weren't because he was the Roman governor and it was his decision whether Jesus lived or died, according to the Roman law, he's, he's trying to ex- exempt himself from guilt and all of this stuff. And he ended up putting Jesus to death, but the Jewish people voted him down. And so Peter reminds them, says, Jesus was authenticated as the real Messiah. And you guys know it because of, look at all the miracles he did. You want to go talk to Lazarus? Lazarus, he's only two miles away. Go around the hill of the Mount of Olives to Bethany. Go talk to Lazarus and ask about how he was dead for four days and how Jesus raised him from the dead. That's a bona fide miracle. Nevertheless, Peter said, you nailed him to the cross and you had him killed. So Jesus is well known in Israel by this time. Instead of receiving him, the Jewish leaders rejected him. They were guilty. And yet Peter says to them, you know what? You guys are guilty of this. But I want you to know it was all part of God's preordained plan. You made a free will decision, but God still used it, and God still used it because Christ's Messiah had to suffer and die to atone for the sins of all the people, and then he would be raised from the dead. And so point number three, Jesus' resurrection 
This was the fulfillment of God's promise that he would not leave his Messiah in the grave. So even though the Jewish leaders, they planned to kill Jesus, they tried to stop his movement, that didn't work because God released Jesus, quote, from the horrors of death and raised him back to life again, for death could not keep him in its grip. David, who lived a thousand years before Jesus, David was a prophet as well as a great king. David predicted the resurrection of Jesus, and Peter quotes it in Acts chapter 2. According to Psalm 16, he says, uh, David wrote, My body rests in hope, for you will not leave my soul among the dead. You will not allow your Holy One to see or to rot in the grave. So even David a thousand years ago was predicting the resurrection of Jesus, that God would not leave his Messiah to rot in the grave, that God would raise him up from the dead. And because Jesus did that, he's the fulfillment of all these prophecies. He is the true Messiah that God has sent to you. So God was not going to abandon Jesus to the grave. In fact, Peter says near the end of his message in verse 32, Peter says, this Jesus God raised up again. And then he says, in which we... This 120 people, the apostles who have seen Jesus with their eyes, they've touched him with their hands, they've ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead, they've heard Jesus speak to them, and then they saw him ascend into heaven. Peter says, of this, Jesus raising up again from the dead, we are all witnesses. They were his eyewitnesses that Jesus was alive again. So there's the third point. Now, what's the last point? Of course, you have to know that A good message is always going to, at the end, ask for some kind of decision. And Peter is no exception to this. In fact, he's the model for all good preaching. So Peter comes to the end of this and he says, Jesus was authenticated as Messiah. You nailed him to a cross, but it was all part of God's plan. God raised him from the dead. We're witnesses of this. And now here's what you need to do. It says, the people... Point number four, the people listening, they needed to respond to God's call to turn back to God and to follow Jesus. What you saw now, this miracle of languages, speaking in your own native languages, the wonders and praises of God, this is the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And it's all meant to point you, it's all meant to you as a miraculous sign that points you to the reality of who Jesus is. His miracles point to the truth that he's the son of God. His resurrection proves his claim to be God in the flesh and their savior if you would just let him be. And so now Peter concludes his message to the crowd. In Jerusalem, on Pentecost Sunday, 50 days after Jesus' resurrection, Peter makes one final bold declaration to this crowd. And he says to them, Acts chapter 2, verse 36. So let it be clearly known by everyone in Israel that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, God has made Jesus to be both Lord and Messiah. And I'm convinced that if, if this was the modern world and Peter was on a stage and he was holding the mic, he would say, God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, Lord and Messiah. Boom. He'd drop the mic and he'd say, that's it. And now the crowd is just is in stunned silence and they're hearing this and they're saying, oh my goodness, Jesus really was Messiah and we rejected him and now God raised him from the dead 
And now this miraculous communication in all these languages where we're hearing the praises of God in our own native languages, this is all evidence that Jesus is who he claimed to be all along. And we rejected Jesus and had him crucified. We are in such trouble with God. What are we going to do? And that's, that's exactly what they say in verse 37. They say, brothers, what should we do? How could we ever get right with God again? Tell us what we need to do. And Peter tells them exactly what they needed to do. Peter says in Acts chapter 2, verse 38, Peter was ready with a reply. Peter was ready with God's command to them. And he instructed them. He said, each of you must turn from your sins and turn to God and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. So there's two points in Peter's reply. He says, I'll tell you, you need to do at least two things. You want to get right with God again? You don't want to be under God's wrath and judgment for rejecting Jesus as Messiah. You've turned your back on Jesus, but now God is allowing you one more chance. You want to get right with God? Here's what you need to do. First thing you need to do in our action points today is you need to repent. You need to stop thinking whatever you thought about Jesus. If you thought anything less of him than the Son of God, Messiah... If you thought of that of Jesus, you need to repent, you need to turn away from that way of thinking, and you need to start walking toward God in faith. You need to repent. And then the second step is you need to be baptized. You need to be immersed underwater, and publicly you need to declare your, your loyalty and your allegiance to Jesus Christ. So you need to repent and you need to be baptized. And that's what Peter told the crowd that he needed to do. And what would happen? What would happen if a person was willing to do that? Well, they begin by hearing this message. They hear the good news about Jesus. They believe the message. They trust in Jesus. They turn away from their sins to God. They confess Jesus Christ as their Lord, their Savior, the one who's forgiven their sins, the one who's going to be the leader of their life from this day forward. They're confessing him publicly, and now they are willing to be immersed underwater in identification with Jesus' death and burial and resurrection. That's what Peter said they needed to do. And so here is Peter on the day that the church of Jesus Christ is born, on this day of Pentecost. He says that we needed to do the same things that they did in the first century. And if Peter says, you do that, what is God willing to do for you? If you're willing to do what God wants you to do, what will God do for you? He says, you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That Holy Spirit power that you saw poured out on us, you can have the same Holy Spirit indwelling your life if you are willing to do what God wants you to do. And just so you know that this wasn't a one-time practice on that day in Jerusalem, Peter continues and he says in verse 39, he says, you know what? This promise is for you, for you Jews in this audience today. This promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far away. This promise is for everyone the Lord our God calls to himself. So friends, where are we today? At some point, God has clearly communicated his good news message to you. God has told you that he loves you. He's told you that Jesus is God's son. He has told you that he died on the cross for your sins and that he's defeated death and that now he is the risen, victorious Savior. And he's saying you need to respond to God's invitation to you to become a follower of Christ. 
Check out the response from this crowd. This is what I love. This is why the day of Pentecost is such a great day in, in the book of Acts, in the history of the early followers of Jesus. Because it says in verse 41, it says, Those people who accepted what Peter said, those people who accepted Peter's message, they were baptized. And about 3,000 people, 3,000 people were added to the number of believers that day. It went from a 120-member church to a 3,120-member church. Instant megachurch in one day. I don't know where they found all the water, but they did, and they baptized all of those people. And it all happened in one day. It happened that day. So you might be listening to me this morning, and you might be wondering, okay, I believe Jim, I believe what you're telling me. I believe this message. I believe that Jesus is Messiah. I've put my trust in him. I've asked him to forgive me of all my sins. Why are you now talking about this thing called baptism? Because Peter said, repent and be baptized. What is the big deal about this baptism? I mean, I'm not, I'm not a baby anymore. I'm an adult. Baptism is something you do to babies, right? Well, let me try to explain something, and, and hopefully you'll see it up on the screen. Why should you and I be baptized today? The first reason is because baptism is for believers. Baptism is for believers. It's not for babies. When I was a baby born in Wichita, Kansas, my parents took me to a congregational church, and they baptized me into Christ as a baby. They sprinkled me into Christ as a baby. By the way, the word baptism doesn't mean sprinkling. It means to completely immerse. It means completely to dip under the water and to come out of the water. Because in that way, the baptism, baptism is picturing a death and a burial and a resurrection. We're dying to our old way of life when we go under the water. And when we come up out of the water, we're being raised to walk in a new life as a Christ follower, full of the gift and the blessing of the Holy Spirit. So that's what baptism is about. Baptism, when you read in the New Testament, anybody who got baptized, they first were believers before they were baptized. And that's why a baby cannot be a believer yet. So baptism is for believers. It's not for babies. Baptism, we follow the example of Jesus. Jesus himself was baptized. I said that he, he left his carpenter trade. He walked 65 miles from Nazareth down to the Jordan River. And he went down into the water and he was baptized by John as an example for all of us. The third reason why you should be baptized, Jesus commands it. Peter says, repent and be baptized. Well, Peter's an apostle of Jesus. Maybe he got it wrong. Well, let's see the words of Jesus himself. Matthew chapter 28. Therefore, go, Jesus says, go to his followers. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So it's right there in the Great Commission. Jesus commands us to be baptized. And then the fourth point, baptism demonstrates that you and I really are believers and Christ followers. And you say, what do you mean by that? How can baptism demonstrate that I'm a believer? How can getting in the water demonstrate that I'm a real believer in Jesus Christ? We're saved by faith, through grace, not through some act in the water. Yeah, but Jesus commanded us to do it. And it says in 1 John, it says, we know we have come to know him if we obey his commands. So there's this idea, there's a clear command from Jesus that we need to be baptized. Have we been willing to be obedient to a command of Christ? And so wherever you are this morning, whether you are a longtime seasoned 
believer or follower of Christ, there's always something when you sit in a church service, there's always something that the Holy Spirit is going to bring to your mind to do. Maybe the Holy Spirit is calling you to put your faith and trust in Jesus. That would be the most important step. Maybe the Holy Spirit is saying, you know what? You've been delaying this, and you should have done this a long time ago. You need to be baptized. Maybe the Holy Spirit is saying, you need to follow through on that decision. Maybe the Holy Spirit is saying, you know what? It's time for you to quit being a church hopper. It's time for you to plug into a home church and make this church your home church and commit to a local body of Christ and we'll build up the kingdom of God together. Maybe the Holy Spirit's calling you to do that. Whatever decision the Holy Spirit is calling you to do, I urge you, I plead with you, be obedient to the Holy Spirit. That's where the growth happens. Growth happens when we say yes to what God is calling us to do. So let's bow our heads right now and let's have a moment of prayer together. And with every eye closed and every head bowed, I just want to ask you, what what is God calling you to do today? If it's to believe in and put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ to be the forgiver of your sins and the leader of your life, then say yes to Jesus. Say, Jesus, I believe in you. I believe that you really are the Son of God, Messiah. I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. I believe that you did not stay dead, that you came up out of that grave and you live forevermore and that you are ready to be the the leader and the forgiver of my life. Lord, I trust and I put my commitment, I commit my life to follow you for the rest of my life. Maybe the decision you need to make is to be baptized and to be obedient to the clear command of Jesus when he tells us to do that. Lord, whatever the decision is for each one of us, I pray that we are are pliable in your hands. I pray that we have a yes attitude in our spirit. I pray that we have the attitude that says, Lord, whatever you're telling me that I need to do, I'm willing to do it because I want to be a loyal, faithful follower of Jesus. And whatever your command is clearly telling me, that will I do. So, Lord, we're asking your blessing on each person, whatever the decision that they made in here today, would you uh, bless it? Would you lead us and guide us in whatever the next step that you want us to take? Father, we pray that you would do that and that you would bless us. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. And friends, if you made that decision, any kind of decision, I'd urge you to take that welcome card and turn it over on the back. And if it has a, a, a phrase in there, I accepted Christ for the first time today, or I'm rededicating my life to God, or I'm interested, I'm wanting to be baptized, circle that. Put your name on the front of the card. Put some contact information, how we can call you or contact you so that we can follow up with you, so that soon we can celebrate with all of you and, and people's decisions of faith to follow Jesus. So what we're going to do now is we're going to have the choir come up, and I think it's time. I think they've been itching to sing, and I see that the choir now, they've got some uh, special new shirts, and they're probably going to have an explanation of what that is, but I pray that, uh, or I I pray, I just ask that we would have a a warm welcome for our choir, first time in 2017, as they're coming up to sing a song.
it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, a country celebration.